Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. everyone. I'm hoping you can hear me now. This is the November 14th, 2016 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard. And this is where we typically discuss news, politics, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism uniquely upholds the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. I got disconnected right as the showtime was started. So I, I connected a few seconds late there. Luckily, I saw it. Uh, I was just starting that intro music playing there, and that was a live version of May Spray from the Jezebels, which is what I usually start the show with. <laughs> Tim says it sounds like they're playing in a beer stein. <laughs> uh, probably not the highest quality. That is the first time, I guess, that I've played intro music that I've recorded myself. Yes, I was recording it with my iPhone. If you want to actually see that little clip, I have the clip posted on Instagram. It's about one minute long clip of the intro to Mayspray, which they just happened to play at the show. There were a couple other favorites that I would hope that they would have played, but they didn't. They didn't play, for example, Angels of Fire or Deep White Ocean, a couple of real favorites of mine, but they did play Mayspray. So that was very, very good. Over here in the chat room, I see a number of the usual people. There are probably people, because this is a little bit off the beaten path for my normal show, we're not going to, at least we're not going to, you and I, talk about a lot of very current politics, although there is some politics in this interview. What I have the pleasure of doing today is playing for you the interview with Haley Mary that I had on Wednesday. Last week, that was the day after Trump was elected in the surprise upset. So imagine, you know, you're coming from Australia, you're starting in the first show of your North American tour, you're playing in Los Angeles, where you know probably that most of the people were voting for Hillary Clinton, and yet Donald Trump won, and you get to go on stage the very next day to this crowd of likely Hillary supporters and try to show them a good time. It actually worked out, I think, quite well. I'm waiting to hear back from Haley what her perception was. She thought maybe the 
you know, the, the vibe would be a little bit strange as she put it. So we'll see what she thought of it. But I was fortunate because, you know, those of you who follow the show know that I did get to speak to Haley and Mary a couple of years ago when they were on tour here in North America. And that time she called in to the show and we spoke for quite a long time and uh, had some interesting reveals and stuff. I think Tim in the chat room said he didn't hear that first conversation. I would recommend going back and listening to that because it was really a lot of fun. And um, I, I don't want to give a spoiler, but you know, in, in this conversation that I have with her here, there's an acknowledgement of something that we talked about last time, which is that she's read Atlas Shrugged and she really liked it and had described Dagny Taggart as a badass, right? So we'd already had that conversation before this. This time I got to go and interview her in person. And that was really cool. So imagine, you know, this is one of my favorite bands, the great singer to my favorite band. And I get to go actually speak to her in person. I was thinking I'd be able to maybe do a Facebook live video interview with her. I'm sort of glad I didn't because I still have this thing and I'm sitting here right now talking to you guys on, on the radio. I'm glad you're not watching me on video right now. Yaron just did a video, a live video while he was doing a show this last weekend. And to me, it's incredibly brave. I don't think I'm there yet, but it's not, you know, it's for me, I get to go interview Haley Mary, whom I just adore. And I'm self-conscious enough just about now doing this interview in person. I've, I've interviewed plenty of people whom I admire over, you know, just telephone or, you know, through the internet communication. So David Allen, who wrote Getting Things Done, I've interviewed and debated a little bit with former UN ambassador, John Bolton, um, right? So, and Haley Mary, of course, I've sp spoken with before as well. And so now to actually go in person, this is the first time that I've interviewed in person somebody whom I've admired that much. So I think I was probably nervous enough. I didn't need, plus I was melting. There's that picture that you can see of us and I'm, we're kind of melting. There's not enough air conditioning there. It was 90 degrees Fahrenheit that day. So not only did they come the day after this crazy election, but they also came when we're having this freak heat wave in November in Los Angeles. And so we're in this little green room kind of melting and stuff in any event. Um, I think you'll enjoy the interview. The interview is wide ranging. I listened to it again this morning and really enjoyed a lot, you know, a lot of the different topics. We talk about environmentalism, we talk about money, we talk about perfection, we talk about Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. And as with the last interview, you know, I give you sort of the disclaimer, my purpose is not, you know, to have a big debate with her or anything else. Some you'll see that with respect to some topics, I give her a couple of things to think about and I share my perspective and she her shares hers. And I think it's, it's a really fun conversation, but I, you know, have no idea that I'm going to like convert her to objectivism or anything like that. I just really enjoy this experience of talking to this singer. I was surprised in the last conversation that she had said that she read Atlas Shrugged, that she liked it, that she admired Dagny Taggart. That was a bonus for me. I'm starting to wonder if there's a pattern though, because Simon LeBon of Duran Duran, whom I love for years, he also read Atlas Shrugged. Um, he doesn't like Ayn Rand's ideas, but he said he really liked her writing. You can read about the conversation that I had with him over at my blog at don'tletitgo.com. You can find a little post about that. But, you know, this idea that the pop music that I have gravitated toward, the 
singers of these bands have been influenced in some way by Ayn Rand. I don't know if that's a coincidence. I doubt it could be. I mean, it could be the case that more musicians than we know of out there have read Rand and it just, you know, I just happened to talk to them and bring it out of them because it's an interest of mine. Or it might really be the case that there is something weird about music such that the music that I gravitate toward, even pop music, that I'm going to gravitate towards that that was also influenced by something benevolent, like Rand, that sense of life. Herman the German in the chat room says, yeah, Rush's drummer. You know, Rush is, I actually did go to a Rush concert once, but I hate to say it's, it's never really been one of my top favorites. I, I don't know why. I mean, maybe just that whole kind of per, more progressive, as they call it, music. Progressive is different musically than politically. It, it's just not been my favorite. So this more alternative pop feel that you get from something like Jezebel's or something like Duran Duran is, has always appealed more to me. Some people would say it's a lightweight. I'm a lightweight or something. I, I don't think that that's the case at all. I think it's just different tastes. Uh, Herman says, yeah, one of their songs is based on Anthem. I have a tremendous respect for them. I did enjoy the concert. I enjoy them to a certain extent. It's just not been a top favorite. I know that a lot of objectivists are big fans of, of Rush. Anyway, I don't want to give you a whole preamble about this. When I was going back and listening to my old interview, I realized that I just belabored the whole introduction way too much. But why don't I go ahead and queue up my interview here with Haley Mary. It's on my... Um, on my iPhone. So you will have to bear with the sound quality. But like I said, I did listen to it this morning. Tim in the chat room is going to say it sounds like it's in a beer stein, but um, I think that you'll be able to hear it okay. Let me get some volume going. And what I'm going to do while I'm playing the interview is I'm going to hang out here in the chat room, just kind of make some notes of your comments. I'm making notes as I was mentally making notes earlier about so-called taxi cab thoughts, things that maybe I should have brought up during the interview, just things of note. And we'll discuss those after I play the recording of the interview. So, you know, I'll, I'll be watching, monitoring the chat room. I'll also try to monitor over on Facebook and over on Twitter um, at Amy Peacock on Twitter and you can give me your comments there about the interview if you want to make any comments about that. I'll also take calls after I'm done playing the interview. Uh, the interview is about what it looks about 41 minutes or so. So she sat with me for quite a long time. I was really pleased to be able to have this follow-up discussion with her. And I do hope that you'll enjoy it. Uh, the beginning of it is a little abrupt because, again, this is the first time I've done it in person, so I'm sitting there, you know, hitting record on my phone and holding it up awkwardly. Uh, at the very beginning, the question that I was asking her is whether, as a band, they had a policy about speaking out on political issues. They sometimes would put little things out on their Facebook page in particular. I follow them on Facebook. And Sometimes the political issues that they'd speak out on would be related to the music industry, particularly in Australia where they're from, but other times, um, you know, it would be on a broader issue. So, for example, the Mus Muslim refugee problem and, and things like that. And so I was just kind of asking her, you know, do they have a deliberate policy about this? And you can get her answer to that. Uh, by the way, so you know, people who don't really know much about the Jezebels. Yeah, they're from Australia. They started 
playing together in 2007, if I recall correctly. They originally did, I think, believe second place in a college band competition, and they went on from there. They started out doing EPs, and now Cynthia, the one that they're touring in support of, is their third full-length album. I've been listening to them since way back to an EP called Dark Storm, and there was a song on that called A Little Peace. And you may have heard that song behind a video from Danny McCaskill, the awesome cyclist, stunt cyclist, who has a lot of videos on YouTube. But I heard it because the song was put in the back of a dog agility training video by Sylvia Turkman. And this is something I went through with Haley in the last discussion I had with her. So it was really, really kind of random. But when I heard this music behind this video, it appealed to me right away. And I wrote Sylvia, whom I knew from Dog Agility, and said, hey, hey, what's that music? I really got to find it. And ever since then, I've really been into the Jezebel. So again, is it a coincidence that this music where, you know, one of the members at least has been influenced by Rand is something that really appeals to me? Or maybe it's just the case that a whole lot of musicians out there have read Rand and we're just not aware of it. We'll find out. So again, going into the interview, first question, is there a deliberate policy about speaking out on political issues. Page, but right. then we, we frame it differently, like say Sam into something, he'll say this from Sam. And he can use the band page, but if it's something we're all behind, we'll say something. Do it without any particular, yeah. yeah. So sort of like a newspaper so, editorial. Yeah, it's actually really complex and hard to navigate, but I guess if you don't think too much about it, just do what you feel like. It, it works the best because yeah, I think there was a, a scary, a t- there is always a time in band careers where they're like, oh, I mean, unless you're a political band, a really political band, where you're like, oh, do I do it or do I not? And, it's like, and then once you do, people start trying to get you on on every campaign for everything and every, every possible political message that's like, are we, it's, yeah, it's a complex question because you don't know whether... I guess everything is political, but you're like, should we also just focus on the music? I don't know. On, on culture. We, yeah, I mean, never, have, you, have you had a deliberate thought about you want to help change the world by spreading good ideas through your music? Is that anything that you think about, or you're more focused on entertainment? I think we're probably... I think we're probably focused on the former, but it's like... But they're not, they're not split... Like, you know how people people think that they're divided and there's this idea that politics is real business and entertainment fake, but then you've seen the recent election, it's kind of the opposite. So we, have, we have the reality TV president. Yeah. Now. yeah, yeah. So, like, in a lot of ways, it's like showing that the real stories are actually coming more from the musicians of the country than the politicians. So, think just by telling your own story and entertaining people that is political enough, you know, in, in a lot of ways, when people feel very alienated from democracy in particular. So, yeah. It's the same thing, I would say. So entertaining for, and, 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 and spreading good ideas. It is, is the same as yeah. spreading good ideas. And, but I mean, you've also seen, and it can be in literature, music, or wherever, where it is more like proselytizing and it's just pedantic and then you end up not really having the entertainment at all. Exactly. It's fine balance. 
I mean, some, there is always subcultures that thrive on that, like angry about the political stuff, but they are always subcultures for a reason, I suppose. But there's like a question of do you go against whatever it is politically, like a, a kind of punk movement would, no matter what, whether it's right or left wing, to kind of resist and always be eternally small because it's against the dominant culture by nature, or do you go through it? revolution or reform and try and make a popular message that's somehow subversive or educational or something. Right. I think maybe like a maybe like Lady Gaga tried to do that or something. Yeah. Well like most pop most, most pop stars like do kind of go for the underdog in some way. And then they get big and they spread that message to the popular. I haven't found your music necessarily to be overtly political. It seems more personal, mostly. There, you have the one line I remember, lying like the government, so the government's lying all oh, the time, yeah. right? But that's where you get feminism coming in and saying that the personal is political and that everything's political. So, I mean, yeah, in that, in that dualism of, like, politics versus entertainment and no it's not because we're not talking about the government or Trump or this but I think that well maybe not so much these days but it used to be very valid to even just have be talking about a woman's voice or something you tell stories from a woman's perspective because there were less of them so it's still political in that sense okay that's the personal can be Someone else said that many years ago, better than I just tried to say it. Right, right. So let's go to Cynthia, because of course you're now on tour promoting Cynthia. And one thing that I've seen you talk about in the past with respect to the brink is the balance of optimism and maturity. Have you thought about that with respect to this album and kind of where that balance is lying for you as a band now? I guess it's kind of saying like that optimism is naive to there. But yeah, exactly. I've had a little bit of that in this election cycle, you yeah. know, thinking that certain things are politically feasible and now we end up with a Trump presidency, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's funny though because I still think the only the only way in the brink maybe optimism maturity in my head were just uh, were opposing. But now I think having for this album we actually dealt with some quite serious problems like in in the band with with um, one of our members. Um, having health problems that were kind of like the most intense thing for young 20 year olds to sort of face and like real problems <laughs> for want of a better word and sometimes they make you more optimistic because that's all you can do is like face them with optimism and hope and not give up and that kind of thing so it's like it can make you depressed but you tend to get more depressed about non-real less real problems and you have to rise up and be optimistic about real problems. Right. Does that make sense? Like bodily yeah. problems. Right. Yes. That's a real, I mean corporeal, not, I don't believe, I, I believe that mental illness is a very serious issue and I don't believe it's not real, just to the point of mind. I mean tangible, tangible problems. 
Right. Does that make sense? Well, and the tangible problems are also things where you feel like you can do something yes. physical in the world exactly. so that you feel that yeah. call to rise to the occasion and, and then you kind of set aside. aside and yeah. Like, we can fight. It's still a little bit of a, like, and, and the spirit of optimism really does make fixed tangible problems much easier to fight. So, um, funnily enough, on this album, I would say I've kind of turned around and thinking that optimism is quite mature in the scheme of things probably definitely more like maturity than naivety. <laughs> okay. But it just depends on what you're facing. No. Okay. And where you're at. It's contextual. In, in the sense of maybe valuing life more as yeah. well and not being so bogged down with things that aren't real problems. Anymore. Yeah, or yeah. problems of... Um, I think basically we're kind of trained very much to look at ourselves as the problem and try and fix ourselves rather than looking out and going, okay, there's these issues in the community. You know, there's like a culture of like mental illness definitely comes from this modern age of like self-analysis and going, how can I be better and how can I perfect myself and blah, 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 blah. I'm not saying those aren't real problems, but when like from outside something serious happens, like a trauma, like a bomb falls or or someone has cancer, you go, oh, wow, like, that puts everything those. else in perspective. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Okay. Now you had mentioned hope, mm. and that was one of the questions that I have for you because the one of my favorite songs, um, of course, is Stamina, right? Okay. And in in Stamina, you talk about all the different things that you don't really need, but you need stamina, and one of them is hope. <laughs> and you say, well, yeah. it, it could help, I suppose, or something, right? Yeah. Do you, what, do you think about hope in a, any kind of a philosophical way or not in terms of do you think it's something good? For instance, I've heard, and this is something my grandmother used to tell me from Science of Mind Church, it was hope is just a little bit better than despair. Yeah. So they're like both just emotions and hope is a little bit better because it's positive, despair is negative, but really it's just emotions and there's nothing behind it versus having some sort of a kind of rationally based hope. Do you have any perspective I mean, I on that? Or? There's the argument that you would probably get to a really, really, really hard time easier if you had a little bit of hope rather than despair. But, you know, that that could be a practical use for hope. That keeping you alive through, you know, the last days on a desert island or something, you know. But it's funny because I'm thinking about hope now in terms of politics and how much hope was the Obama campaign. And I think that, like, left and right, no matter who you voted for, we ended up with this. <laughs> and then, and it was like, there is, there's no good option. There's no, like, where do we go from here? And the only thing that, and we're talking about, like, questions of our, our species extinction potentially if we if the free world run by the wrong person, which it is now going to be. And it's kind of like, oh wow, where is the hope where is the hope in that? So, um so all we need is to keep going and have that like that's that's like the last thing kind of hopefully hope will come or be around the corner through the hopeless times because there's a lot of hopeless times I think in, in current politics and and just when you turn on any screen 
Yeah. No, I mean, the way you're talking about it, it is sounding sort of like you've read some of the existentialists before or the absurdist, uh, like Camus yeah, and stuff, yeah. right? Um, little bits. I'm not, like, I'm not a really massive reader, so like, I really okay. thought it was strangely coincidental that I had. That you had read Atlas, right? Um, um, I've read a bit of Nietzsche. <laughs> that had an effect on me. And I've read a little bit about anarchism. So okay. those, those kinds of, I think those ideas sort of blend in towards objectivism yeah with um the reason i was thinking about the existentialism stuff was because you have the little commentaries on the different cynthia tracks and it's on spotify so i was listening to that and they're very short and some of them are hard for me to understand because of your accent and everything but before stamina one of the guys who was with you i don't know who it was okay so he was saying something about you think that there's meaning in life, but there isn't, which is really existentialist. So I was thinking, yeah, okay, yeah. is there some existentialist slant to the perspective on hope? Because they really do have this view that hope, there's really no point to it, that it's yeah. an illusion, that there's nothing behind it. And there's different perspectives on it. So I kind yeah. of oscillate between between cynicism and romanticism. Like, I don't mean romanticism in, as in necessarily looking backwards, like, at mother nature or anything, though sometimes, but as in, like, um, yeah, like, I can see the rational view that there is no actual purpose in, help, in hope. But then if I also think that maybe, this is what Pleasure Drive is kind of about, maybe the purpose in life is to enjoy yourself whatever that means. And, and that often means making sure that other people are enjoying themselves as well, like just for sheer logistics. But um, if that is something you need and that's the purpose of life, is, then the hope is probably a more positive physical and mental experience than despair. So it's quite addictive in times of potential despair is that you can kind of cling to hope. It's like so many so many people like into new age kind of philosophies now, like a bursting forth of astrology and numerology and these kind of what used to be called superstitions right. in the age of reason. Because we're kind of disenfranchised by the age of reason because it's, it's sort of is leading seemingly to, to the world being, um, what's the word, unlivable for us. In the sense of in the sense of Pollution exploiting the planet and, and all yeah. those things, okay. So I guess yeah, because we had talked a little bit in the last interview, yeah. that sort of environmentalist and beliefs. Uh, kind of, I'm just I'm very confused. Like the most, majority of my my generation, I think a lot of them attach themselves to an ism, but that changes. Feminism, socialism, Marxism, capitalism, whatever. They they'll very strongly identify themselves with an ism. So as to get through the confusion that is being alive right now, because we're so entrenched in, oh, sorry, we're so so drenched, sorry, in in information that I watch, and, and younger generations than us as well are even more confused. So they, you can you can do one of two things: it's just like sort of feel like your brain is splitting in half all the time, <laughs> and just trip out and be confused and unmotivated and sit and watch it all go by, or you can attach yourself vehemently to some kind of idea that you found, like feminism to me was a big one, and that struck me for a lot of my own personal reasons. I know a lot of guys who get into leftist politics, and it's often because of the like 
kind of lacking of you just want to choose. You just want one truth because you're so well, overwhelmed I mean, by. Actually, you would think philosophically. I think human beings need a framework. We need exactly. a philosophical framework. We can't face every situation like a newborn yeah. baby who doesn't know anything because otherwise you would never get anything done yeah, on an adult level. Pathway. It's right. like writing a story for yourself. Like I'm going to follow this, use this information to look at it like that because otherwise I don't. I could go anywhere and I'll just basically flowed into the atmosphere, which I ultimately will eventually, but I don't, I'm not ready to just become carbon yet. <laughs> I'm a person with a, with a consciousness, so I've got to choose something. Yeah. But then you go through, then you discover anotherism, and you see the flaws in the other that you were exploring before, and you're like, oh, God. Well, and then eventually, because your no. context of knowledge is widening and your ability yeah. to reason through, maybe what you'll settle on is either an ism that you find you do Being agree with after, or or you might end up making your own ism, which is maybe some variation on I the prior. I would yeah. to lose the ism part. I think it's well. death. Like when you pass on into the other world, that's when you lose the ism, then you just are everything. You are <laughs> one with all and nothing. <laughs> that is peace. I mean, it is. It is true. I mean, all knowledge is interconnected. Yeah. yeah. Um, so in a way, everything that you know is. And, but you can never know the totality of it. Obviously, no, at any given time, our knowledge is totally limited. Well, <laughs> if you believe, then so. Well, yeah. I mean, no, but whatever, however that looks. Right. That kind of. I think that is the difference between being dead and being alive is that you're no, you are somehow separated from the everything. Your consciousness is like looking from a perspective. But then when you leave your body, you go back into the everything. So that's kind of the noumenal world, the Kantian things as they really are. But maybe, maybe then you get reincarnated or whatever. (laughs) But even if that means seeing absolutely nothing like an atheist would believe, that's still that still kind of works with the idea of everything. <laughs> the two sides of a coin. So we'll we'll go we'll go back to politics a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So is your concern as an Australian about this American election because you think, for instance, that Donald Trump poses a real threat to you because here's this guy, he's kind of loose cannon, he's gonna have the nuclear codes and is that the type of concern? Um, I think, again, with globalization and the internet, most pe- a lot of people in Australia are just thinking in terms of, like, we feel, a lot of people feel, and I was living in London for four years, and a lot of people feel like there's something really big happening soon. Like, and it just feels, if you've read history, like fucking World War Three is going to happen soon, or, or some kind of massive crisis that shifts us into a new era, like post-war, Cold War stuff is ending and it's just going to be something else and that needs a big crisis and it just looks like this is this is going to be it like <laughs> but does it does it but, have to you know the new era that we go to does it have to be really bad or could it potentially be oh a shift for the better not even necessarily no i think there's like a mix of excitement and fear but what what was worrying was that what we saw with this election was that you're kind of looking at democracy differently. Same with Brexit. Um, these are like protest votes in a lot of ways and they prove the flawed nature of, of democracy. And we in Australia are so 
over democracy. Like our, our parties are just frustrating and the way they campaign is so frustrating. And it's, it's not saying that people don't believe in the idea of democracy. Maybe we don't have it properly, but I guess it feels like maybe that era is slowly coming to an end. Where people now, when, when you're saying democracy, do you also say encompass in that the idea of a constitutional republic? Because technically no, we don't. No. Okay, so so you just mean we don't have that. Okay, I just mean like I just mean people people voting, trusting people to vote, and also somehow the trouble way them. it's tied in with capitalism and show business, and how like I don't even know half of the issues, maybe even three quarters of the issues of policy on most of the things that these parties are getting in on, and I have the right to vote, and it's like. <laughs> Not sure. Like, do so you yeah, think there should yeah, be some sort of test people should study, or no? Because they're not kind of privileging intellectuals. Yeah. There's no, but there's no real right way. But there, there should be a, a bit more education, I suppose. But the more fear that we have about Trump is that the guy's a psycho. Like, I mean, these ideas are pretty mental. I like building a wall is pretty mental. It's, it's also like his his use of fossil fuels is quite. I mean, say say they're right, and there is no global warming or it's not caused by humans or it's not or it is caused by humans but nonetheless the trade-off is worth it because after all if we had a little more air conditioning in here we'd be a little more comfortable right (laughs) yeah see things like that say that's fine right um and they are correct i just think maybe they they need to be a little bit more put into proving that before going forth because the other possibility that the climate change believers are right now, I, I do I do have a book for you called The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels that maybe yeah. you should check out if you're interested, but um, I, I'm sure I'm yeah, sure I should just, like I'm not it's, it's just you know, it, it acknowledges, hey, there is potentially this warming. It's something maybe that we have an influence on, but if you look at the quality of life and the you know, length of life and everything else of human beings since we started using fossil fuels, it's, it's improved. So yeah. what is your standard? You know, is your standard the planet apart from human beings or the planet with human beings living on it? How hospitable is the planet to us? Yeah, it right? really does actually come down to what your philosophy is yeah. as well. Because, like, again, with the, um, the sort of some of the um, anarchistic ideas that I find really interesting is this. They're, they're against the idea of survival over life which is, I suppose, like the survival of the species at whatever deranged state compared to life, which is like a thriving, flourishing flourishing existence. So, for example, the idea of euthanasia is like, it's appealing because it's like, well, this isn't life, this is surviving. Or abortion, if it's going to be, you know, make life on earth better rather than being pro-survival. And, and then also in, in terms of the species, it's like, well, yeah, we might survive if we do this, but what's our, what are our lives going to be? There's 6 billion or 7 billion of us. If we have to return to like some kind of paganism where we don't do anything to the earth, how are we, how high quality of lives are we going to have? Yeah, in terms of human flourishing, not so much, right? Yeah, but, but then, I mean, maybe we return to a little bit more of a, sustainable following the indigenous path. I don't know, maybe it could work, but there's already too many of us. But basically, millions of us have just sort of die soon. And that's, I don't know. Just, I don't, I don't even know that geographically that is necessary, though, if you think of 
the fact that there's so much of the world that is unsettled. It would have yeah. to, right? You'd have to move people. With the right technology, right. it might work. Right. Yeah, look, I don't know. The most, yeah. I don't know so, so environmental policy of Trump scares you a bit, too, because it's going to be over-exploitation of the planet, in a sense, maybe damage the planet beyond repair in some sense. Is that one of the concerns then with Trump? It's not even so much him. It's the people he mobilized to vote for him. He might be a genius. Like, he clearly has navigated some pretty gnarly endeavors getting into power in one of the most liberal ages of our time. But... Yeah, it's the people that voted him in, and also I, I really am not into anti-abortion. No, being and, a woman. Yeah, and, um, and for me as well, anti-abortion, and yeah. also it, it'd be scary if he was to try to reverse the gay marriage ruling, for Precisely. example. Yeah. And you see someone like Nigel Farage coming over and boosting the Trump rally, and you see in Australia, like, they, they were encouraged by Brexit. They saw it as akin and we have similar people in Australia. So while I'm not American, I do come here frequently. Why can't I hear an abortion? Or in California, always. Always. Yeah, yeah, sure. And also, but also, like, it, it does have a Cause you know, really effect in, in, yeah. in Western countries. They kind of they follow each other a bit. I don't think Australia would do that, but it might. Like, we've got our quiet, rural sort of white working class people who think they were forgotten as well so uh, I hope we learn from it basically okay so here's an interesting question can you think of I mean you sort of gave Trump a little bit of credit that maybe he's intelligent because he was able to navigate and get into but is there anything else about him that you would say okay positive it might be okay or mostly negative besides that I, don't, I didn't like Hillary either, by the way. Okay. Um, but I actually voted for Johnson, for what it's worth. Okay, I don't even know who Johnson is. The Libertarian. Libertarian, okay, yeah. Cool. Um, I mean, I can speculate that he could be a bit—he could be a bit of a reverse Obama, in that he could be promising some things to get in and inspire a sort of a certain group. His constituency, yeah, and, and then he's going to get in and either not do a lot of them or, or do things that are very, very much sort of almost democratic. Like, I just that Obama came in and did the drone, which is one of the most gnarly things that, like... And continued the NSA as like, well. Oh, yeah. this is heavy. <laughs> like, yeah. considering what you campaigned on and you didn't really get, like, the Medicare through or anything... So I'm just wondering what happens to Trump when he gets in. It's like the wall sitting there with like, you know, we'll build that soon and then maybe he could be a sheep in wolf's clothing or a wolf in sheep's clothing and slip a few things in unnoticed. Who knows? So I, I just don't trust American politics at all, which is why I think his intelligence would have even gotten there in the first place. But you can't tell. Like, it's like he's a president. He's a symbol. Well, part of part of the... Spirit that elected him, and you know, to me, I don't see him as having any good ideology at all. I'm actually scared. It's like a wild card. And yeah. from you know, perspective of an American here, I would never vote for him. I have no idea what to expect. But we're counting on kind of our system of checks and balances to try to keep his yeah. excesses in check if we can. Um, but do you ever find a system of checks and balances frustrating? Because it seems like such a a deep ocean 
that no one could ever really get in and do anything in particular. Well, I mean... They keep strengthening the prison different, though, somehow. That seems to be fine. That keeps just... They can keep it going. They can keep that thriving. <laughs> they can keep putting more and more millions of you in jail. I mean, I think what I get frustrated <laughs> with is when you have the different branches not exercising the power that they could to serve as the check on the others. Yeah. Um, you know, so for example, from my perspective, I was frustrated with Justice Roberts, who basically mm-hmm. laid out a case for stopping this mandate. I mean, this idea of forcing a person into a market to purchase something against their will. I did not like, and he, and he somehow got it by through as a tax and in effect left it to the legislature, but the Supreme Court's supposed to serve as a check on the legislatures, right? So that's just an example, a loaded controversial one, mind you. But um, the the thing I was going to say, you, you know, you say you don't trust American politics. A lot of people who voted for Trump really took to heart his message that we don't trust American politics okay. and we need to drain the swamp, so to speak, has been, yeah, but you know. Yeah, but does he think he's going to be able to fix that? Does he really think, that, I mean, maybe yeah, he actually does think he is. Is he special enough? I mean, Obama was pretty fucking special in the eyes of the nation. Like, that was like, wow. Sure. How, how, how is he any, how is he going to be able to change it? I don't know. And that, again, is, this is a, a crazy wild card. Now, Civil war, maybe because then he could enforce emergency measures. He's certainly not giving an acceptance speech that sounds like he's trying to incite civil no, war. No. Not at all. I don't no. know if you saw the speech. It I sounded pretty, quite nice, actually. Thank God. It's interesting. And I'm high-fiving you because I noticed that as well. That I know, but yeah. that's where I was like, maybe he's not what he said. He's just started, like, trickling a few little hints in now. I don't know. Maybe he's not what he said. Maybe it was all a show. Right. See. I don't know. But I almost, I, I also just don't trust American politics because of how, like, it's the same in Australia, by the way, but like how much um, influence the media and corporations have. And that, like, you have, legis- like, um, lobby groups trying to regulate the chemicals that are kind of allowed to just exist in, in goods and services, and they just can't. Be- and that's, like, something you should be able to regulate because it's kills people or it makes them ill and they just can't because it's too, too powerful lobby groups or how about, how about, how about the fact that none of the media got this election right I mean almost, yeah. almost all of the polls were completely wrong about this yeah. I had fully expected to have Hillary Clinton elected president I was completely dumbfounded that Trump yeah. won and it's because of all the polls even the kind of more objective ones yeah. that we watch here you know, there's maybe two that said Trump could win. And they seem to be for Hillary as well, the media. No, exactly, and they, and they were. So uh, this is really curious to me because obviously you have the feminist background, and yet well, you, yeah. well, right, and, well, yeah. but, and yet you didn't like Hillary. And I no, knew so many right. women who said, okay, we've got to vote for her because, in part, in part at least, because she's a woman. Yeah, um, I think it would have been a really frustrating thing for feminism because. It's like Theresa May having to step in after Brexit. It's like, let let us fuck this up, and then the only person with the ambition to deal with the consequences is, of course, a woman. Every, every man running that campaign was like, <laughs> touching this thing. We got what we wanted. I'm out. 
and the only two people that stepped forward and said, I'll do it, were women. Wow. So you've got a woman that's like, great, the first woman since one of the most arguably unpopular, not popular, but divisive um, female prime ministers like, since Thatcher, mm-hmm. basically, is, is coming in at like this really untriumphant time. And same as same as Hillary, it would have been like, oh, well, the, uh, no one likes you. We're just voting for you because you're not the devil's spawn. <laughs> like, but maybe you are, but like you kind of don't look as much like it. So right. Like, like, that's not really triumph for feminism. And I, I don't really, I just think she's a bit bad. Like, I mean, with. I just don't really trust the system at all anymore. Like, did the, did the WikiLeaks have an effect on you? All of those emails and things, were you guys watching those too or not? Yeah, I mean, I didn't go into the, what she said or anything because there's a certain amount of like, care, but I just find the entire system to be quite inherently like caught up with corporate interests and, and pr- particularly the prison system really gets to me at that both sides, no matter what, I, like allowing the prison system to be very strong and I kind of think of like how a lot of people think of it as like a legalized form of slavery like I don't really believe in in the idea of this war on drugs or criminalizing black people in right. the eyes of the collective imagination I think that's like really one of the worst things that this country's built on it sort of sort of needs a revolution right. <laughs> or something like a, a big upheaval to we, we legalized marijuana in California so that's a start right Again, California just needs to float off like a little island. <laughs> well, some people were talking about now that Trump was elected, they yeah. want us to secede or something. Yeah. yeah but, we'll um, see. We'll see. But, yeah, I, don't, I just think it's like we're living in a time where if you go to Paris and you told an alien that this is a city of love, they would be like, what are you fucking talking about? This is a city of hate. Mm-hmm. And if you came here and said, this is the land of the free, they would be like, what are you talking about? There's millions of them in prison more than anywhere in the world but like this is not the land of the free so it's kind of like it's when it's sitting on its its dreams are kind of it's still a great place the people are still amazing but it's not what it's set out to be so it seems like it needs to clear the slate and I don't know what but yeah drain the swamp drain the swamp <laughs> get rid of all of them <laughs> but I don't know about not in a French revolution way just in a in a really peaceful way so when you come out tonight, I mean, you're here in California, most likely you're going to be facing people who are pretty disheartened yeah. and disappointed yeah. and stuff. How do you, t- I mean, have you had a show like that before where you no. were having an audience that you're anticipating is going to all be disheartened? Nothing like this really ever happened in our lifetimes. Like, it's, it's a really big deal. And we're, because we're Australian, it's kind of like, sorry mind if we play a show like it's not really our problem but kind of is and yeah I don't know what it's going to be like I hope it can be okay but I have a feeling it's going to be a pretty strange vibe to be honest okay but hopefully we can cheer them up for a moment or two I I think you probably will definitely it's the first show of the tour so it's likely to be a bit rough okay okay (laughs) that's, that's what happens when you're out of practice well, and then you got the few days of jet lag and all that good stuff, that too. That new sound yeah. guy doesn't know the songs very well. Okay. All of these excuses. It doesn't <laughs> matter. It should be a good show either way. But, yeah, I don't know how people are going to feel and they're going to be, like, excitable or not. So you're here in L.A. tonight, and then you've got 
San Francisco, Portland, you're kind of doing the swing, and then you're in the States until December 7th, if I recall correctly. So it's a good, yeah. a good stretch of time, right? It is a good stretch of time. Yeah. Hopefully things get more happy. Yeah, maybe we'll have an indication. I know the stock market already sort of went back. Went back yeah. Okay, yeah. I don't know about some people on your page last night were saying that the Australian dollar was being affected as well. I don't. Yeah. I haven't looked at that again though. It probably will. So hopefully it'll all come it back. Really gets affected by everything. Yeah. <laughs> That's the weakest thing. But yeah, hopefully okay. it'll come back as well. Hopefully, hope. Or. <laughs> Even if it hasn't affected, hopefully it's better in comparison to the American dollar than it was while we're here. <laughs> so we can... You can spend and not have... <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so I'll hope that for you for a while. Yeah. At least. Because I'm not going to Australia for a while, so it's okay. If we'll, yeah. get, we'll give you that for now. Do you know what I don't... I'm not... Do you know what I'm not 100% sure of re- recently? This is the new one that I'm kind of on. Money. I actually... It's like not in like some like... I'll give, take from the rich, give to the poor thing. But like, money is a very weird system. And it's almost an artificial intelligence in itself. It kind of imitates what humans do naturally. Like, I have something of worth, you have something of worth. Let's give it. It's like, oh, we invent this synthetic little object that does that for us. Right. And it's like, Maybe I just I just does does it does it make it feel you any better? I mean, do you feel any better if you think it's backed with gold like it used to be? For example, I would feel a little bit better because then it's something tangible with not. Yeah, and we're moving now towards it being not even real and like implanted. Bitcoin and yeah. (laughs) Oh man, I'm just like something wrong there. Like it just feels like we should be able to have agency and not worship this synthetic. Invention. Well, I mean, the, you know, the original idea of it is perfect because, you know, the, the crop that I have is going to go rotten in the time. You know, I can't just hold on to it. Yeah. I have to be able to sell it immediately in total while yeah. it's still fresh and then have a store of value that I can use to, you know, feed my family for the next year or whatever yeah. it is, right? Yeah. So you've got to have that money, but... It, it has if, to be attached to something. Well, and that's the thing. Like, it, should it be backed in gold or, or, you know, some sort of intrinsic value again? Yeah. Or does it, you know, is it okay if it's a Bitcoin where it's just a series of digits out there in the ether or something? That's an interesting... It's really interesting. Because at least that has some accountability, I suppose, and that everyone's kind of watching that happen. But no, no, it's still really dodgy. <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing that confuses me the most at the moment is money and whether it's good or bad. I guess it's neutral. I guess it's, it's this is what it is. So why you attach yourself to isms and this and that is because we're actually living. We're, it's just realizing that the world is amoral and uncertain, and we need to invent morality to get through. Right, but right. nature is amoral. Yes, yes, Na- nature in itself is, and and that was that's really one of the kind of existentialist yeah. complaints yeah. is that nature itself is amoral. Now, the way Rand would talk about it, she'd say it's a benevolent universe, but she didn't mean that there's, you know, this actual benevolence and there's something looking down on you, but that given the nature of the world and the type of consciousness that we have, we can make our own meaning mm-hmm. out there. 
and that that is something real because it's based on goals that we choose, you know, using our consciousness. Our consciousness is capable of perceiving and accurately uh, figuring out what to do. We may not do it at first. We'll make mistakes along the way. But we do this inaccurately, but still somehow making up things the truth. I know you believe that there is an ultimate truth if you're an objectivist, but like, but if you if you're a subjectivist and you don't, you can see how there can be an objective truth within. There can be like inner subjectivity, yeah, inner yeah. subjectivity. Yeah, like, there's yeah, there's like a you can prove it with science, and you can prove it with theory, and you can prove it with a lot of things, and you can apply it. But then you can apply a lot of scientific theories that have then been proven not perfectly true. So the application of a truth doesn't necessarily mean it's fundamentally true, but it can still work somehow. We can we have yeah. this amazing ability to shift things together and make them work and make them appear to be true for a while. Until it doesn't serve us anymore. Well, or until you learn something new yeah. and you you need to sort of expand your knowledge. You know, you can't yeah. stay static, no. but you can always, within your context of knowledge, use your brain to the best of your capacity and identify truth for what it is. And, yeah, and the belief yeah. that you can't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're 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 limited, but we can do but pretty we're pretty, well. Pretty good. Yeah, yeah. And that's 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 what you end up saying. Okay, you know what is perfect? Perfect is doing the best that you can at any given time. Yeah. Given your capacities. Armageddon. <laughs> Perfection is Armageddon? Yeah, it's the same as this. But actually, what's perfect is the benevolent universe or whatever, and then we can never achieve it. We're obsessed with trying to, but once we do, that that is death. You know what I mean? That's perfection. The end, the end of the universe. You have the, the absolute sense yeah. of perfection versus yeah. the contextual sense because of perfection. Because you perfection. can't achieve perfection ever. Even as not beautiful. not in that Pain sense no. is is beautiful because it has its slight imperfection. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> well, I thank you for the discussion. I have to um, invite you to. Okay, everyone, with that, I'm going to go ahead and turn it off. It ended up getting, uh, you know, a little bit noisier with the sound check and stuff after that. And, of course, we were ending off there with this discussion of perfection. It turns out that this idea that she was discussing at the very end, perfection as Armageddon, is a root idea in some project that she's working on apart from Jezebel's. And so she was at the end there telling me a bit about that and wanting to put me on a mailing list so I could get information about that later. So you may be hearing more about that from us here in the show. Maybe she'll agree to come on and do an interview all about that. As you could tell, I mean, there were definitely places in the interview where I could have pressed her more. And specifically, if I really get my brain together, I need to press her more on some of these issues of epistemology and this idea of ultimate truth and stuff, because I don't think that she and I would be that far apart. And I think her her conception of what objectivism believes in terms of what she calls an ultimate truth, I think she ascribes to objectivism an idea of intrinsic or so-called absolute truth, which is different. I think maybe we're not as far apart as she believes that we are, but epistemology is something to pursue with her at another time. I was really pleased with some of the interchange that we had on some more of the concrete issues, relationship between 
optimism and maturity, environmentalism and fossil fuels, and particularly the standard of human flourishing versus so-called just bare survival. I loved the discussion about money, et cetera. So I think there's a lot of good gems in, in that conversation. Uh, yeah, Mo in the chat room says, yeah, she's so close in a lot of areas. I just think it is fascinating to see. Yes, yeah, you know, she has been influenced to some extent by Rand. She's not really immersing herself necessarily in philosophy. She's just going out and thinking about the world in you know, a pretty, de- a pretty decent way. But yes, yeah, some of the ideas about, you know, what happens when you die and the nothingness is like everything and all of these are all things that would be interesting to explore with her at a future time in more depth when I've got my, you know, real more metaphysics and epistemology <laughs> together and ready to discuss it. You know, I feel like I'm pretty well equipped to talk about topics like money and environmentalism, some of the current politics and things like that. But some of those other things I wish I'd have, you know, Greg Salmeri or a, a Robert Mayhew or an Ankar Gatte over my shoulder to help guide the discussion there. But again, I think it was a pretty good interchange. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you do go and either listen to the Jezebels now or you go and see them live, you get not only is this woman a talented singer and performer uh, and, and she's cute right you know you, you look at her the, actually the picture of of her and me that we have I'm melting and she's not even wearing makeup she looks adorable so um, do go and see her live it was an excellent show by the way it is really criminal that here in the United States we pay $20 for a ticket. We get to see them in these intimate little venues, and this is a really high-quality band. So I highly recommend that you go out. If you're listening in the Denver area, I know this show is going to be played on Thursday in Denver. Go to Larimer Lounge on the 19th. I think I've got Saturday, am I right? you get to see them live, again, in an intimate venue for a reasonable price. The show will be played in Miami as well. Unfortunately, they're not going there on this tour, but check them out. Maybe there is a place that you can get to fairly easily from Miami. It'd be great if you could go check them out. Now, in terms of, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this, you know, keep in mind when I'm sitting there speaking with her, first of all, I'm a little bit in awe because I'm speaking to one of my musical idols, uh, then also there's just only so much that you can get and react to on the fly. So I did end up, I think, giving her a few things to think about and pressing her on certain issues here and there. But in other ways, I think, okay, I could have said this better, done this better. What we would call taxicab thoughts. I, I learned this term taxicab thoughts from Leonard Peikoff. And I guess Rand used to use it. She'd say that when she was leaving either an interview or a speech that she gave, a Q&A that she gave, that she would have these thoughts about how she could have, you know, stated a point more clearly, answered a question just a little bit better, et cetera. And of course, I had those thoughts about this conversation with with Haley Mary. Um, I don't know that I necessarily follow up with her about any of these specifically. Maybe she'll listen to this interview and that's cool. But sometimes if I've tried to follow up with taxicab thoughts, it ends up not 
working out. So I just we'll just leave the conversation as it was. I think it was a very profitable and fun conversation. I was really pleased to have that opportunity to speak with her again. But you know, if you notice when you listen to the interview at the beginning, before I relax into it, I'm not even really contributing very much to the discussion. I guess I'm a little distracted by the people in the green room who are walking through at that beginning, but also just a little starstruck. And then later, yeah, I, I start getting into it. I really liked her discussion of optimism and maturity. I had caught her off guard a little bit because that was something that they were talking about at the time of the brink, which is over a couple of years ago. And I don't know if, even if she remembered giving the interviews where she was talking about this balance. So she, you know, obviously can kind of recall context about these issues and what she must have been thinking about. And she, I thought, answered the question well. I was pleased to hear her say that you, you know, that that optimism is a mature thing. You know, she is not a nihilist by any way, shape, or form. You know, she does, of course, have her moments of cynicism, as we all do living in, in the world today. But for her to come out and, you know, talk about the serious things that have been going on with the band their keyboardist, Heather Shannon, has had ovarian cancer, and they actually had to postpone this tour because Heather was undergoing treatment. And I hope that she's you know, completely cured or in total remission. She's at least strong enough to be able to go out and do this tour, which is wonderful. She looked fine when I saw her. So uh, you know, obviously, I'm not going to press and ask about these things. They get to reveal what they think is appropriate at a given time. But you can understand how your understanding of optimism and maturity and the do you see them as opposed or as complementary, though that would change if you had gone through certain experiences like that. So that was fun. Um, I like how she talks about oscillating between cynicism and romanticism. You know, the idea of having some sort of hope for the future and, and struggling for that, even in the face of what she saw as a really ominous sign many of us see as, as at least a potentially ominous sign, which is the Trump election. Uh, she reiterated something that she said in other interviews about pleasure drive, the idea of, you know, going out there and enjoying yourself, that this would be a legitimate purpose of life and that enjoying yourself doesn't necessarily mean at the expense of other people. And in fact, she was talking about how it would be in your interest, she said logistically, but, you know, for, from a rational self-interest perspective, you would want the people around you who you care about to also be enjoying themselves in their lives. Uh, I love talking with her a bit about hope. Uh, she, you know, maybe didn't get quite into it in terms of the existentialist stuff that I talked about in a prior show as I would have, so I was, you know, pressing her a little, but, um, you know, she does have a value for hope. And this is an issue philosophically that I'm going to continue to explore. I continue to talk to people who think hope is just a bunch of hot air. Yeah, it's positive hot air, but it's just, you know, hot air. And that if you actually do grasp onto hope, in some ways it might be futile. Uh, the example that she was giving is that if you're facing some sort of, in particular, physical threat to your existence, like cancer or something, that hope could be very useful. But is it useful in just, you know, as an illusion in some way? And then, you know, is it is it just, you know, again, is it, is it some sort of an, an illusion that's going to be self-defeating in the long run? Uh, is it, you know, are you, are you just kind of deceiving yourself 
in order to make yourself go on, or is there a rational basis for it? You know, this is, these are things to think about in the future, stuff that I've been had, you know, you've listened to my show, you've heard me talk about this and, and have kind of back and forth about it. Environmentalism and fossil fuels, I loved having that discussion with her. Her acknowledgement that there would be a human-centered standard that you could use in thinking about these issues. When I sent her an email, because she asked me, you know, send me your email and I'll put you on the list for my project, I went ahead and sent her a link to Alex Epstein's, he has a 17-minute TED-style talk in which he lays out the essential moral framework and, and, you know, gives an indication of how it applies to the issue of fossil fuels, this very human centered framework. And I don't know if she's, you know, going to watch it or follow up or whatever, but I, you know, I said, go ahead and watch this. And if you're still interested, I would send her the book and we'll see how that goes. But, you know, she definitely does realize that you can't just look at the issue of fossil fuels completely from the perspective of an untouched planet. Uh, I pushed her a little bit on the idea of ism, uh, that it is human nature to need a philosophical framework that you face the world from. And so, you know, I was glad to do that a little bit. You know, there is a an idea out there that if you ascribe to any particular ism, even if it's an ism that you've made for yourself, that somehow you are constraining yourself. And there's there's always that balance of keeping your mind open for more evidence, but you obviously can't keep your mind eternally open and refuse to settle on a framework of ideas because as human beings, we need a philosophy. We do have a philosophy with which we face the world. And the only question is, do you deliberately think about it and choose it? Or do you, in effect, absorb it passively from the world around you? She's obviously thinking all the time uh, about, you know, what it, what does she believe and, and why and questioning, as you can tell from, from the interview. At the same time, she doesn't want to be tied down. And there are a number of people who believe that. They think, if, you know, if you ascribe to whatever ism it is that you're limiting yourself in some way. And so again, it would be fun to, to push a little more on that at some point. Uh, I liked that when she was talking about that issue of survival versus human flourishing, that she made the analogy to euthanasia because it's a good one. Yeah. The idea of bare survival as a human being, as being any sort of a standard, you know, basically just sitting there breathing that she rejects that. I took as a good sign as well. Ken in the chat room is saying, I think in the absence of any evidence to believe one's precarious health is going to get better or worse, having hope that it will get better is more sensible. Right. And that's what she was saying. You know, sometimes we see people having hope, even though it's completely futile and I get, it is helpful. Anyway, it is something that I've thought about, you know, if, if the hope is really illusory, is it nonetheless a good thing in those particular moments? And maybe is that the only type of moment in which hope is a good thing? And then you've got a little bit of the existentialist perspective, which is, you know, basically the kind of clarity about hope that you have, really close to death or something is the sort of clarity that you should have all the time. They're very, very negative, these existentialists. And, you know, is hope always that way? 
or can hope have a rational basis as I was outlining the possibility for in the earlier show that I linked to in the program notes. It was called Prince Earth Day and Reconsidering Hope. That was from April. You can go back and check that out. And someday it'd be interesting to revisit those issues again because, you know, I, 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 I try to argue and Rand used the word hope in a number of positive ways. I talk about that in the show. You know, again, revisiting that issue would be fun. Mo in the chat room says, yeah, the great thing about objectivism is it allows for self-correcting and thinking. Yes, he says uh, that's one of the big character arcs of both Reardon and Dagny, right? And that was something I was trying to give an indication of to Haley in the discussion that, you know, that it's not that the things that you learned before weren't true, but that you just adjust according to an expanded context of knowledge. I didn't say it quite as well as I could have during the interview, but I think she understood what I meant just as I pretty much understood what she meant. One place where I thought I really could have challenged her a bit more is when she started talking about the standard liberal, you know, especially out in the liberal media, we've heard that this election was due to these white rural voters who believe that they're being forgotten and stuff. And and so there's some sort of a demographic that she thinks is responsible for electing what she's calling the devil's spawn, which is quite humorous. Um, but, you know, you've, you've heard this in the media, right? And, and that it's somehow, you know, these, these white rural forgotten voters, I really needed to challenge her on that. And I really just kind of let her talk and I, I didn't. And so that is something where I thought, okay, if I was, you know, really a little bit more on the premise of, of pushing than I would have done that. Uh, Brexit, you know, arguing for why Brexit might be a good thing and not just a negative in the way that she was implying that might have been a good thing to do. <laughs> I love how I put contingency or something in there. It was a blend between contingent and constituency. I made a new word. Deep ocean. She mentioned deep ocean in connection with checks and balances that somehow there's this deep ocean that's hard to navigate. And it was just fun for me because deep white ocean is one of my favorite songs of theirs for her to be using this metaphor of a deep ocean in her regular conversation. I know that probably she brings to that song a meaning that I do as well. You know, that deep ocean could be not just literal, you know, there's some deep white ocean, but also metaphorical. Uh, when I was talking to her about John Roberts, I'm not even sure that she should have gotten, you know, now that I go back and listen to it, should she have even gotten that I was talking about Obamacare? Does she remember that it was Justice Roberts? I mean, come on, she's from Australia. Why am I speaking to her as if she knows that it is John Roberts who wrote this opinion in which he effectively gave a rubber stamp to the legislature by calling the Obamacare mandate attacks. I didn't even use the word Obamacare anywhere in that entire passage. So that's probably my one big regret. The poor girl, when I was talking to her just before the interview, I mean, first of all, so I go watch the sound check and then she's done with sound check and I come up and I say, hi, Haley. I don't know if they told you I'm going to have, we're going to have this interview. And uh, they hadn't told her. 
they had not told her that I'm showing up for this interview. And then she remembered who I was and she's fine doing it. But she says, I warn you, I haven't prepared or anything as if she needs to be really prepared. And there I am talking to her about John Roberts and not even giving her the context. So the poor girl, she was awesome. She was nodding as if she understood. Maybe she did. If she did, kudos to her. But I felt a a little bad. Um, I loved that we both noticed that Trump did not thank God in his speech. There were a number of my friends who noted that on election night, but that's because a lot of my friends are atheists and, and she took it also as significant. Uh, I liked, of course, that she did not like Hillary. I was surprised that she didn't like Hillary. Now, again, you know, she even last time was careful not to tell her, you know, describe herself currently as a feminist, but as having been influenced by feminism, at least in the past. I have a number of female friends, though, who just decided they had to vote for Hillary, even some male friends vote for Hillary. Why? Because she's a female. And I love that she said, you know, voting for Hillary because she's not the devil's spawn, or at least she doesn't look as as much like the devil's spawn as Trump, that that's not a good reason, that it would not be a triumph for feminism for Hillary to have been elected. I like, you know, I did feel though, when she was talking about prison, there was also something more effective that I could have said about prison. I did bring up a disagreement, at least implied with the war on drugs and that is one of the main reasons we have so many people in our prisons, at least the illegitimate arrests that are in prison right now. It's just because of the, the drug issue. But certainly, I, you know, I, I wasn't really thinking about prison as a big political issue that I would be discussing with her. So I felt like I was unprepared. I love what she said about, though, you know, Paris. They're told it's the city of love. The aliens are told it's the city of love, but they think it's city of of hate instead. She's definitely quite thoughtful. Um, Had some fun, of course, with Drain the Swamp. And then finally, how about money that she's disturbed by this phenomenon of, of money, this institution of money? You know, I pushed her thinking, I think, a little bit on it and at least got her to the point where money itself i wouldn't say money is amoral right if i had to if i had to go back and speak to her again money itself is not actually even amoral it is moral right because it is the thing that facilitates these types of transactions that allows you to store value over a long term i do think that the example that i gave her for you know the origin of money that what makes money a good thing was the solid type of example to use that you have this crop, it's going to spoil. You have to sell the entire thing now and yet you have to use the proceeds from that crop to support your family over the course of a year or whatever it is. And this is the sort of example that gives rise to the need for money and makes money a good thing. So money is not amoral. Money is, is definitely moral. There are people who use money, of course, in amoral ways or immoral ways. Uh, you know, the fact that you have money in your bank doesn't mean that you're going to do anything good with it necessarily, but money itself, the institution of money is is awesome. And I should have emphasized that more than I did. So let's see what else we have in the, oh, I don't have any more feedback in the chat room. Let me go over to the switchboard. Okay, I've got one person listening. If people did want to call in and give their perspective on the interview, if you've gone and seen the band and you want to talk about your experience going to see them, that would be cool too. I saw when I was seeing them at the Echo in LA, an opening band called Stall 
which is based, I guess, part in L.A., but also in France. So when I first walked in there, I was hearing all these people speak French, and it was all the members of the band and the management and stuff for the, the opening band stall. And they they were pretty good, not, not a bad band at all, and a, a good match. There's a song at the beginning of the Stamina album called Stand and Deliver, and it's similar to some of the opening songs that they've had, you know, first songs on prior couple albums where it's a bit atmospheric in the beginning and stuff. That was really what stall was like. They also did have their more melodic traditional Rocky songs as well. Um, but it definitely blended with this idea of um, stand and deliver that first song on Cynthia on the Jezebel's album. Selfishness in the chat room says, money is a great tool. I love tools. Yes, it is an excellent tool. It's an indispensable tool, right? It is a tool that we need if we are going to sustain our lives in a truly human way, in the sense of human flourishing over the long term. So I'm hoping that, yeah, hope, 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 uh, that in the exchange that I had with Haley Mary, sort of pressing her on the issue of money, that I did help her to think about that, that money is this tool and you shouldn't think badly of it simply because some people do harm with the money. Now, if, you know, if I pressed her further about what she didn't like about money, it's probably the fact of, you know, some people doing what she sees as bad with their money. And then maybe we could press with examples and stuff like that. But as you could hear towards the end of that conversation, they were starting to really, do the sound check for stall in earnest. And so I didn't want to, you know, try to continue that conversation through all that. Plus she'd given me 40 minutes, 40 some odd minutes of her time, which was, I thought pretty generous. So I'm hoping that you've got a lot. Hope, hope, hope. Keep using that word hope. I think that probably I provided some good value for you here in terms of listening to a woman who is thoughtful and also very talented from Australia, from another country, give her perspective on some interesting political issues of the day, whether it be the use of fossil fuels, money, um, her perspective on our two leading candidates going into this election on Trump and Hillary and what she thought was the danger of a Trump victory. Listening to someone like her about those issues, I think in and of itself is a value, but particularly if you do like me, enjoy the Jezebel's music, you will again, I think from this interview, be pleasantly surprised at, at how thoughtful and intellectual she is. So that would be great. Mo says she'd come around if she reread Francisco's speech on money, perhaps, right? So if she does end up getting back to me, I do hope, 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 hope <laughs> to have a bit more of a correspondence with her. It'd be nice. I would enjoy doing it for sure. And on future tours, I do want to speak to her again. We'll see if we can do it. I think it was a, a, a lot of fun. Any more over here? Yeah, if you did call in 760-888-5817 and you press 1, I would go ahead and pick that up and take your comments on this. Any more here in the chat room? Because otherwise what I'm inclined to do is play you a song on the way out. Today I actually took the cover off of my little iPhone so that I can play what I want to play without all the static and interference. If you have a cover on your iPhone, 
the connection is not as solid. We had a nice solid connection here today. So maybe what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave you with a Jezebel song that I had hoped they might have played during the concert, but they ended up not playing. And that is one of my favorites. It's called Angels of Fire. So let me go ahead and do that for you as we exit. And I will speak to you one week from today. This is the one and only show that I'm doing for this week. I'm kind of cashing in on my great coup, which was getting to talk to Haley Mary. And this will be the show that's going to be played in both Miami and Denver this week. So what we'll do is I'll talk to you one week from today, Monday, next Monday, I guess, what is that, the 21st? And that's going to be again at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 p.m. Pacific talk to you then everybody here we go with angels of fire
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.